0: Welcome back, folks, to uh, episode 58 of the Panoramic Outdoors podcast. Thanks for joining us. Right here for the intro, we got uh, myself and Sheldon. Sheldon's over in Brandon. I'm over here in Lockport. What's happening, huh? Oh,
1: man, I'm just uh, enjoying a nice cold beer on this warm Saturday afternoon. Um, But, yeah, just chilling out, man. It's uh, a few days before before getting into archery season, so I'm just pumped, I'm ready to rock. How are you feeling?
0: Are you dialed in right now?
1: Oh man, I'd love to say I'm dialed into what I want to be, but I can't even say that yet. Dialed into like the for my archery, just up to about fifty yards and I'm trying to reach out a little bit farther, which I don't normally do. So it's pretty fulfilling though after you get shooting a bunch of arrows and I was shooting with our good friend Hack there that we've done a few podcasts with before. And he was kind of, you know, give me some tips and tricks as he's been in the hunting or, or the archery world and, and competitive archery shooting for a while. So I got to shoot with him for a while, which was a, a big learning curve for me, I guess. Um, so, yeah, I've been trying to reach out a little bit farther and I'm getting better and it's just going to take more and more reps. And um, by the time hunting season rolls around here, I'm going to be absolutely 100% confident uh, with my normal shooting. So
0: uh, I'm pretty happy. Nice nice i was doing some uh arrow flinging today too myself and and uh i think i'm got everything dialed in where i needed to be for opening day elk and uh yeah i'm looking forward to it man this will be dropping on opening day i believe so yes it will be yeah
1: um a funny story though i was just um uh, looking at my instagram feed here i got a message do you know who scotty Upshaw is
0: uh, yes.
1: Scotty Upshaw, he's like a hockey player. Uh, Jordan Tutu, we had him on the podcast. He referenced him a few times. Anyways, I was kind of, I sent him a message talking about the podcast because he just released one, um, like a new hockey podcast with a couple hockey guys. So anyways, I, message him and he messaged me back and we we're kind of chatting back and forth while getting him on the podcast and he's like oh man i'm pretty much a beach guy i don't really have much to say about the outdoors but you never know maybe we'll we'll get him on here one of these days i think he'd, he'd be a good uh insight i know he's done some fishing and stuff with with jordan tutu as well so hopefully get him on but if you guys are looking for his podcast um it is on itunes and all that stuff it's oh shoot it's called missing curfew so check Missing Curfew out. It's a great hockey podcast if anyone is a hockey fan like myself.
0: Nice. You want to dive into the, what's on the grill, what's on the tap, and what's on the turntable?
1: Uh, Yeah, I can do that.
0: What are you thinking? Okay, so uh, what do you got on the grill this this week, man?
1: Um, well, I'm going to go back to last weekend, and I was out at my, my parents' place <clears throat> and i was out there just doing some kind of like pre-hunting prep i was getting my enclosed trailer ready and stuff so i decided i wanted to make them oh my god excuse me did you hear that <laughs> wow that was embarrassing anyways i um am trying to not say i as many times this podcast episode but that's totally not gonna happen now everyone's gonna listen to me here say it all the time so I-, I decided to make them some food and I did the kind of the flatbread thing that we did a couple weeks ago. Yeah. And I did it with some beefsteak and made my relish and did all like all the went like the whole ten yards, nine yards, whatever you want to call it. And uh, yeah, it turned out really well. And yeah, that's what was on my grill again. So two hens in a row. I made the flatbread with with some meat and some relish.
0: That's a solid option, man. I like that. I uh, <clears throat> I had the pit barrel fire fired up last night and uh didn't cook everything on there but ended up plating um we had some ginger mango wild boar spring rolls and then on the pit barrel i did whoa, whoa,
1: whoa, 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 whoa. wild boar you went wild boar hunting tell me about that you got just briefly just tell me you went and got one or you shot one yeah in so, three sentences tell me about your hunting trip
0: um it, it was good overall man it was kind of like uh a boys weekend getaway uh um my buddy chris thank you there kind of put it together and and uh we headed out west and um everyone ended up bringing home a boar so it's i mean i'm super pumped because i was getting like desperately low on wild game meat and now i have this uh it's a phenomenal meat to just have in the freezer and cooking with and stuff so i'm super pumped about it i've been enjoying it all week and uh just chatting through the through the group chat with that we had going with uh, with all the guys that came on the hunt and everyone's been enjoying it as well so right from like ribs to steaks to roasts and 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 the ground stuff obviously so um super cool and uh super great meat to have <clears throat> excuse me and that's is that comparable to
1: like a farm raised pork or how would you compare it a little bit more gamey or what do you think
0: you know what it's i can hardly tell the difference in the taste and uh, the only difference is it might be a little bit more tougher and uh it's a little darker than than like normal pork that you would get in the store but like super nice fat on it and um it's great flavor really good flavor uh so, yeah, so we did up those spring rolls, which were, like, 10 out of 10, then did up some, some uh, like, Korean-style barbecue pork skiers on the pit barrel, along with, like, smoked mushrooms and patty pans, and then uh, Tristan did a, um, a pineapple on the pit barrel for dessert. A little ice cream and pineapple, grilled pineapple for dessert, which is always a cherry on top kind of thing. Nice nice yeah so that was really good just a great supper um yeah so looking looking forward to putting putting more uh wild wild boar on there what uh what do you have on tap this week on tap this week
1: oh man um i'm i don't even know i don't even know what to uh what to say for on tap this week to be honest with you i've haven't really been drinking too many beers or anything this in the last little while. Um, yeah, I, I'm gonna go with as nothing. I think for now. What? Yeah, I know it's weird, but
0: unbelievable. I uh, I purchased uh, one of my favorite bourbons, but I haven't haven't really been getting too adventurous. We'll say with uh, with the liquor side of things. Um, so on the, going on the trip I figured I'd get one a, a nicer nicer bottle, just have a nice sip of something. And uh, bullet bourbon is kind of my go to for for when I want something like that. So
1: Oh yeah. You know what the good thing is though about right now is like it's kind of well it's not really pickling season yet, but it's like kinda of getting close to like say pickling season. So the Caesars, a little bit of like pickle juice and yeah. shit. Man, that stuff i guess i'll put that on my tap for now
0: there you go yeah right on man and then uh what's been on the turntable
1: (laughs) it's actually funny because the last time i was on the podcast i referenced uh conway twitty and loretta lynn and then i started actually i started listening to a few more conway twitty songs and stuff and man that guy can tell a story man there's (laughs) a reason why like you know like the 70s or whenever it was like he was one of the top, one of the best country singers at, at in his time. Like, Go back and listen
0: to some of his tunes, man. They're super good. I'll have to check them out for sure. On my end, uh, man, I don't even know, to be honest with you. I can't say I have been listening to a lot of music this week, which is kind of disappointing. The week's just been a bit of a blur. But uh, one tune that always uh, gets me in the mood for work or whatever it may be It's popular on the job site and it's not uh it was never a day on the job site if this tune wasn't played it was uh the watermelon crawl so <laughs>
1: <laughs> just wait time out do you even have a job
0: um well i'm, I'm gonna be a uh, full-time kidding. panoramic here hopefully for, yeah. the, for the next little while <laughs> no i'm just kidding the one thing that we do have to do though coming up
1: here um, by the time everyone listens to this it's going to be hunting season whitetail and Archery for us. Uh Chase's I think is gonna be opening uh archery elk hunting. Yeah. I'm gonna be opening Whitetail hunting. A couple things that we do have to get done no Chase, and we gotta uh we gotta come up with a list. We gotta come up with a list of all of our gear and what we're taking. Um, so we're not doubling up when it comes to food, etc. The one thing that I am going to be taking though is Gorp Energy Bars, and I know this is going to like be like the weirdest segue and the cheesiest ever, but Gorp Energy Bars are um, a new partner. I wouldn't say partner, but helping us out with Panoramic Outdoors, and we're helping them out. They supply us with a few, with all well, basically all their items, and we've tried them out now. It's a plant-based protein. It comes with no bloating or gut rot, none of that stuff. There's no additives or preservatives. There's actually, like, no junk in their bars, and it's a it's a high-energy bar. It's, like, super soft. It's super good to eat. Um, I have nothing but good things to say about them. It's good, clean energy. Um, they, they've got a few different options and items. Like, they've got the actual package bar that you can take out with you in the stand. They've got a do-it-yourself kit, so you could actually, like, prepackage it or package it into whatever you like if you're going out to the stand or doing whatever. They've got the oatmeal blends, which I'm very excited to try. I haven't tried them yet, but hopefully be eating that at Elk Camp when we're going together. And then those best little peanut things that go really good with beer because I was eating them while we are watching hockey the other day. <laughs> but if you go to www.gorpworld.com, go into their website, you can pick up any of their products and use Panoramic 20 at checkout for 20% off.
0: What's you tried all their bars? What's your favorite one? Uh, that
1: apple peanut butter, I think. Yeah. I think it's called apple peanut butter, yeah.
0: Nice. Mine would be yeah. the the cocoa hemp almond. I'm I'm am oh, yeah. a sucker for chocolate, so that's uh yeah, for sure. top of the list that's, for me.
1: They're actually all good and the 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 couple things that I really like about it on my own personal level is that there's no like chalky taste or no bad aftertaste. It tastes like a legit something that like grandma used to make. Yeah. Like granola bar type thing that grandma used to make kind of idea. Yeah. So I really enjoy that and yeah, I've nothing good And it's like
0: it's like a solid energy that you get, not from like those dollar store granola bars that you buy where it's just like a instant sugar boost and then you're coming down off that right away. You know what I mean? It's yeah. like you're gonna be you're gonna consume this thing and it's gonna give you energy for like hours yeah you know? absolutely and then the other thing that we got to put on that list for our elk hunting trip would be the pit barrel barbecue oh man that's coming out for sure i can't wait i might grab one of those those uh boar roasts and get that pit barrel fired up before the evening hunt and throw the throw the roast on there and just let her rock until we come back out of the bush you know what i mean
1: yeah then there's we will have like a a flock of black bears eating it or something <laughs> stupid knowing our luck
0: yeah but i'm thinking that thing would just be perfect by the time we come back because that pit barrel i know you said we set it up and it that thing just holds the temperature just perfectly will just be a deadly piece of meat
1: yeah and like doing like i was even thinking like doing some soups or something in there and like it's just a, it's just like a crock pot in, in in essence i guess yeah is essence the right word Essence. I don't know, I'm not on my vocabulary game today.
0: <laughs> so if you want to be enjoying some just like next level barbecue smoker meals out of a Pit Barrel, you can find them at pitbarrelcooker.com or uh, Lux Barbecue in Winnipeg carries them. And uh, they're a pretty hot item, so if you see one there, don't be thinking about ah, maybe I'll come back and see if it's still here because chances are it's going to be gone. So pick that baby up. You will not be disappointed. I guarantee you that.
1: And uh, add on to that, if you are looking for the Pit Barrel Barbecues in Canada, check out their website and uh, check out the map thing and you'll find all all the people that are selling them. So if you're not from Winnipeg area, there's lots of places to find them. And if you're in the United States, it's free shipping. So look them up, com
0: right on what else you got on the docket buddy
1: uh oh, not too much the lot kind of the last thing i wanted to mention i think we mentioned in the last podcast before we before we launched this one is uh we are doing a podcast of rat river outdoors uh, we're going to talk a little bit of trapping so anybody that's listening have any trapping questions for us please dm us on facebook instagram or email us from our website And let us know what you think about the trapping episode coming up. It's kind of going to be a new thing for us. We haven't done a trapping episode. So um, any questions, comments, or concerns, let us know, and we'll go from there.
0: Love it. Well, uh, this episode of the podcast coming up, we have uh, one of our favorite guests joining us. Um,
1: I guess we should mention that. Hey, he's a a returned guest.
0: Yeah, a returned guest, and uh, just all-around cool dude, man. I love what he's doing and I love, I don't know, just all, all the work that he does. He's a great filmmaker, uh, produces great YouTube content, and I don't know, just an enjoyable guy to have a conversation with, you know? Um, yeah,
1: and the thing is, I, I wasn't a part of this podcast and I'm excited to hear it, or this episode, and I'm excited to hear it, but. Uh, I always cheer for him. It's it's so weird when you get a guy that's on uh, YouTube and stuff that it's a likable, nice guy. Uh, you always cheer for him. So when he's competing in the 39 Hours episodes, or when he's competing against Clayton Schleck, is it Schleck or Schick? Schick. Anyways, Schick. You always kind of you kind of always cheer for the for the good guy. It seems like, and he just seems like <laughs> such a great guy.
0: <laughs> I don't mean to brag, but I, there was no doubt in my mind that those guys weren't not winning that competition. <laughs> yeah <don't laughs> <kidding me. laughs> pretty sweet anyways we have them here check them out hope you guys enjoy the podcast all right well welcome back to the show uh jay siemens
2: thanks for having me back it's been how long are you saying a year and a half it's been since i was last year
0: yes yeah, so i guess february in 19 was was the last time uh he joined us for an episode and it's it's been a while man there's been a been a lot of stuff going on crazy times the world has changed a lot absolutely
2: <laughs> wow what, what number podcast was that do you remember was that
0: oh man i was just looking at it earlier i think it was uh down in the 20s somewhere
2: down in the 20s yeah And now you're you, you're, you said you're a 2051
0: <laughs> <laughs> give or take
2: <laughs> give or take something like that
3: yeah
0: yeah this time next year it might might happen, but we're, nice. we're we're encroaching on sixty. We'll say that's good. Yeah, yeah. So it's been uh, it's been a busy year for us too. So which is good.
1: That's great.
0: Um, how have you been, man?
2: Man, it's been uh, the last. Yeah, the last couple of months have just been wild because I was on probably like one of my bigger travel benders in the last whatever couple years, and. Uh, I just came back. I remember I had left. uh, I got to go film uh, Peacock Bass in the Amazon, which was just a bucket list thing. A crazy opportunity came up like two weeks before we actually booked flights. The lodge owner said, you know, can you come? My wife, Sam, and I hopped on a plane. And as we like got to the airport to fly to Brazil, there was like a couple people wearing masks. And there was like a little bit of Corona talk. And then when we came back from that trip two weeks later, all of a sudden there was just masks everywhere. And I'm like, wow, stuff's happening. And then right after that, I had one more ice fishing trip in Northern Manitoba. And then that's when things really just blew up. And I was like, wow, I need to to get home and probably stay home and and just to see what happens because things were evolving so fast, like, I don't know what the turning point for you guys was, but for me it was like when NBA got canceled. Not that I'm an NBA fan, but I was just like, okay, this this is pretty serious. I think that's when everyone kind of took it serious, right? Like,
0: yeah, yeah. When uh, professional sports are getting canceled, it could be uh, it's getting pretty crazy. Yeah. How was uh, what what have been uh, the major changes for you uh going through this whole COVID stuff? I know we haven't really uh, touched on that at all, but uh, I'm interested to hear. I mean. How maybe plans have shifted and how how you've ad- adapted to uh, to these changing times?
2: Yeah, like travel is travel such a big part of what I do so much with my work and what I, what I love to do right it's it's a passion of mine. Uh, so it's been a lot more localized. So like you know April May June was a lot more in Kenora and a lot of you know tourism was was paused. I do a lot of my work with with Huntfish MB in Manitoba. So that was a complete freeze uh, it was weird. I have videos, ice fishing videos that I made that, uh, didn't, didn't get released because promotion was stopped. Right. And, uh, but, but living in Kenora now, I was very fortunate that I could stay very close to home and still, still get outside. I mean, it was, it was a lot less and I had a lot of editing to do. So I kind of stayed home as much as I could, but you know, now things are starting to open up a little bit. I know they're still like you know, I'm, I'm sure this topic could be talked about for hours and, and there's a lot of different sides to it, but, uh, yeah, th- things are definitely getting a little more back to normal now. And, uh, I just came back from Northern Manitoba, so it felt good to be back in the North and, uh, and doing that stuff. Cause I, I love the traveling. I love, you know, meeting people, but yeah, as, as far as fishing trips too, it was, it was a lot of trips either by myself or just with my wife during, during COVID times. And, uh, yeah, It worked, you know, fishing by myself isn't my favorite thing, but whatever Sam was up for, my wife, then we we got out fishing together and got to do some filming during it all, so, yeah.
3: How was that peacock bass trip? Because, like, uh, that's, you mentioned it was on your bucket list, and I can totally understand why, and if it was me, it would be, like, I I don't understand necessarily how the peacock bass fishing works in and of itself, but they alone look like such a gnarly fish that that is just something that any angler would be interested in catching, I feel.
2: Yeah, like, I mean, just starting with the location, basically, uh, we were on the the Rio Negro River, which is like a, I think it, it branches near the... Amazon River. I'm not sure the geography exactly, but basically the further upstream you go, the further into the jungle, the darker the water gets. And typically the darker black waters where the best peacock bass fishing is. So we flew into Manaus, which is already in the jungle, and then hopped in a float plane and flew like another two hours into the bush. So I'm like, if something was wrong now, we're we're really hooped. But you know, you you go way into the bush and and uh these fish they seem like they should be something saltwater like it doesn't it doesn't compare to really a freshwater fish they're so ferocious and you're using like musky sized gear for 15 to 20 pound fish um so yeah i felt very blessed to be able to do that because it, it's uh it's not a cheap trip by any means but i mean it was it was one of my better work trips that's for sure i, I hope i get to do it again uh yeah yeah i don't, I don't know what to say the fish like when you when you see a peacock hit a topwater it's kind of it doesn't really compare to anything else. It's it's pretty wild.
3: And so we'll be able to see some of that content hopefully soon. Then I imagine.
2: Yeah. So I mean, I think uh, I created a little bit of a longer film for uh, for Captain Peacock for the outfitter we went with, and uh, he's kind of holding on to that. So I I made a vlog out of it, like a you know half an hour, forty minute film style vlog that I, I put online a while ago. But the main Piece that I made for him. I think he's still holding on to it because I think people are just cutting to, kind of waiting to see what, what happens with the international travel. That's what's taking the biggest hit right now. It's the international yeah. stuff, right? So yeah, we'll, we'll see what happens with all that.
0: Yeah, I guess he doesn't want to put out all his good, good ad stuff and, and uh, not have anybody available to come. They're going to wait for yeah. stuff to open up. People are obviously itching to, to go do stuff. Yeah, and, uh, it's
2: interesting. Yeah. It's interesting because on that topic, like. Just coming back from Northern Manitoba, these operators, the fly-in lodges, are are in a really tough place. But the drive-to operators are like record-breaking years. Like the one lodge I talked to, they said if it wasn't for the northern ban in June, they would have uh, broken records for July and like for their entire summer, July and August were both record-breaking for them. And June would have been if it wasn't for the northern ban. So it's it's interesting because people are, you know, realizing that if if they want to still you know be active and get outside, then they're kind of looking in their backyards, and I've heard the same thing with other outfitters in the White Shell. It's like business is up 30% because there's just people that are normally flying to other destinations right now. They're like, well, let's see what we got right here.
0: Man, that's incredible. And that, that's uh, The the divide in that is, is a kind of a tough pill to swallow for some people, but it's nice to hear that at least uh, some of the industry is thriving really well.
2: Yeah, absolutely. It's not. It's it's not. Every, not everyone's getting hit the same way. It's kind of affecting everybody a little bit differently.
0: So yeah, and we do we do a bunch of work
3: in Manitoba here. Obviously, we try to keep our pulse on what's going on across Canada and North America, but our, we're mainly tapped into the Manitoba market here. And it's it was really interesting to see almost the the consciousness of Manitobans evolve through COVID, and people really turned into like we got such a massive province here, and people are really turning into like. Okay, what's available locally for yeah. for me to uh, either put my entertainment dollars into or to take my family to, and uh, I'm I, I'm glad to hear that some of those outfits on on the other end are experiencing some of that because um, I guess there there was likely some concern at the front end about what it's going to look like for a lot of these companies that depend on like American dollars
2: or tourist dollars, right? Oh, absolutely, yeah, and there's there's so many. I mean, I've filmed quite a few different lodges and, and every, every month or two, I hear of a new place. Like there's, there's more than (laughs) you'll ever have time to fish and explore. Right. So it's, yeah, it's, it's good. I think, yeah, people are realizing what's in their backyard.
3: Well, that's kind of peeking in onto our five burning questions here, Jay. And I think the, our viewers might, our listeners might be familiar with you here, but maybe they'll learn something new if, uh, (laughs) if, if, if I we ask the right question here, so I'll get started. Um, so, what's the hottest song out there right now? The hottest song right now. Yeah. What are you listening to?
2: Man, I like the the Taylor Swift song uh, with Bonnie Bear on her new album. It's called uh, Exile. Okay. It's really random, but uh, yeah. <laughs> I think <laughs> that's that's... Just, that's just a song that I'm really I'm uh, really digging right now. So yeah, there the... you have it: Taylor Swift and Bonnie Bear.
3: Check it out! You heard it here, folks. And uh, (laughs) that's awesome. Okay, uh, I know
2: what you're expecting.
3: You know what? That's the first time we've had the T Swift dropped on the the podcast, but it. You know what? It might not be the last, and I'm sure you know there's other guests out there like McFads who probably pumped T Swift on the reg. So big time, big time. Not not surprising. Uh, Burger Week's coming up this week, and uh, if you have to throw something on the girl, like what's your favorite? version of a burger how are you cooking a burger
2: oh man i mean i just walked down the street to, to brewco in, in kenora and eat one <laughs> of their burgers yeah I like, I like the james dean burger it's got like some cream cheese on it and uh yeah it's just big and greasy
3: just uh outsource that work a little a eh, and like come off the yeah, water
2: I, yeah exactly or i get josh to cook for me josh
3: <laughs> yeah that would work too well okay since if you're at Bruco then what's what's on tap then what do you what are you drinking
2: Uh, probably the blueberry beer. It's it's the forgotten lake. Oh yeah. That's a staple.
3: Those are very dangerous on like a warm summer's day I found.
2: Yeah, absolutely. That's a one beer sort of, uh, flavor.
3: Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Okay. This one might be a little difficult, but, uh, I want you to bear with me here on this. And, uh, so if you had to fish with one lure for the rest of your life, what would it be?
2: Oh, a jig, a jig. Is it? Yeah, a jig, probably a jig and a twister tailor, a jig and a swim bait. You can kind of do everything with. it. You can fish it shallow, fish it deep, fish it fast, fish it slow. You can catch. Yeah,
0: man, we're heavy. We're heavy jig, uh, jig people here too. Yeah,
2: <laughs> Can't go, wrong. Can't go wrong with the jig.
0: If you, do you have a color that you
3: always like? If uh, things I would, are going I would bad, probably go black. Black, black. eh?
2: Yeah, I, everything. Everything eats leeches.
0: That's true. That is true. Yeah, sometimes that that black jig is like the lights out jig. On day yeah. of fishing, so.
3: Or sometimes that lead jig that's at the bottom of the box. Yeah. Just, like
0: The rusty one, yeah. The <laughs> rusty busted <it> up
3: one. <laughs> okay, last question here, Jay, and this, this might be another tough one here. So I'll let you answer with more than one answer if you have to. All right. But, but uh, if you had a favorite lodge or uh, place in Manitoba, what, what would it be?
2: Oh, man, that's so tough. <laughs> oh, that's a really tough question.
3: Maybe you could just highlight a few, and uh...
2: you know what? Like I, so Eagle Nest Lodge has a special place in my heart. I'm actually going back there next week to film, but that's where I started guiding when I was like 15 years old. So that's like my first fishing lodge memories. And man, I got stories there. I sunk a boat. I hit rocks. Uh, <laughs> just all sorts of stuff that is. It'll all it'll all be exposed in probably an upcoming video. But I don't know. I, I got a I got a special place in my heart for Eagle Nest. Um, I haven't been back there in 10 or 12 years, so,
3: they banned so you. Uh,
2: man, I love what I love, uh, and it's probably also just cause the relationship I've built with these people, right? Well, Viking Lodge, I've just like been back there multiple times and have gotten to know the owners really well, but man, there's so many, <laughs> there's so many good lodges in Manitoba. Yeah. And, uh, it's, it, it is tough to pick one.
3: Yeah. We're pretty blessed here. And again, interesting to see how, uh, how much uh attention has been paid to that as of late um and you just came back from biking you mentioned too eh?
2: yeah i, I did a little bit of a, a northern tour i i uh i filmed a walleye video on viking and then i went to cormorant lake uh to simon Nabis lodge it's called and uh that was my first time open water fishing in cormorant and did uh, did a pike video there and uh wow that was probably the best pike fishing i've ever had uh other than like flying fishing maybe it was it was phenomenal and i feel like it's kind of a sleeper so no way if you guys are, if you guys are hearing this before the video comes out book book a cabin there and go catch some big pike <laughs>
0: that's awesome man. that's an insider tip i have a, a quick question um yeah. up on around that area have you ever fished uh moose lake
2: i have not been to moose lake but i know it has some big pike
0: yeah yeah that's what i heard too um i used to do a little bit of flying up in that area with some boys that lived up there and they, nice. always, they always raved about the pike, and it, it's kind of cool. The, the north end there, it gets kind of um, really clear. almost. Yeah, super clear water. It's pretty neat. Cormant was the same thing, just crystal
2: clear water. So it's it's pretty unique pike water. I mean, for, for a drive to, normally you have to fly in to get clarity like that on some of the lakes. So, I mean, late summer now, you're not really sight fishing them. But if you went there, you know, springtime, right after ice out, I'm sure you'd uh, have some pretty cool sight fishing opportunities
3: and so you would have driven right past clearwater which is like a personal favorite of ours too and yeah and there's a lot of great pike opportunities especially in the spring there i understand too right if you're fishing yeah bays. absolutely I,
2: you know what there isn't as much pike water on clearwater there's like a couple key bays and that's where that's where Aaron and i Aaron Weeb and i fished in 39 hours we caught our, our pike point that i think it later got stolen uh in the in one of the bays there but so we have some we have some good memories there but uh from what I saw in Corman, Corman is just Cormant is loaded with them. So I mean, if you want to go for Pike, I would I would drive a little further down the road. You have to drive a little bit of gravel, but uh, wow, it was it was it was a factory for sure.
3: And that's a good walleye lake too, from what I hear. Is uh yep. yeah, yep,
2: lots of walleyes.
3: Lots of options. Lots of options. Well, you made it through the five burning questions with what seemed like relative ease, there, Jay.
0: So congratulations. <laughs> thank you. Thank you. <laughs> Usually we end up tucking down a couple of rabbit holes on those, but. surprisingly not you you brought up uh a bit of a topic that i'd like to touch on quick obviously we're well past uh the release of 39 hours and i'm sure most people listening to this have have already watched it but uh just an incredible uh program that that you guys put on there
2: thank you so much
0: and i just want to get your view on it how was the like I feel like the evolution of the, the, from the first year to the second year was, was really, was pretty good. I don't know. Like just the growth I'll say in the, it the was dramatic was, Yeah, there was some big changes I would say. What, uh, what do you have to say about that?
2: What, what were the factors in the, in the changes or, or was I happy with the changes or I, I guess.
0: Yeah. 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 How, how do you feel about, about the changes and, uh, and the growth of everything that that happened I mean, there?
2: adding, yeah, adding an American team was something we always talked about. So that was, that was great to add another team. Um, I mean, since Thrive Visuals had a bigger role, uh, Thrive Visuals is, is my production company for those of you, uh, listeners that, uh, maybe new. Um, sorry, did not say that. Uh, yeah, so so my production company was able to help with Thrive hours this time, and uh, so I, I don't know. Like Aaron did the whole show by himself last time. Now we had myself, Nick Ence, uh, who is the lead editor at Thrive. He uh he he manned a lot of hours. I think I think he said his final tally was a thousand hours of editing. Wow. And Aaron, and I, Aaron and I each put in probably I mean a hundred or so, but yeah, Nick did a thousand. He was working on it from. From filming it in June until like every day till until we put it online, like the, the, we thought we'd have so much time when we started editing them, and then it, and then it came down to the wire like every single night. But uh, evolution, I mean, yeah, always working on the production side of things and and streamlining. I, I think that, I think I guess I guess as far as changes go, we uh, we added the the possibility for sleep, you know, breaking it into the into the chunks instead of doing the straight in hours, and I think that allowed for for one. Not as much night fishing. Night fishing is okay for like an hour or two, but to do six hours, nine hours of, of darkness, it's just it's tough to fish properly. It's not interesting to watch until they hook a fish, right? So I think splitting it into multiple days was safer, and we caught more species. I think I think from season one to season two, there was I don't know probably thirty or forty percent more species caught. Um Yeah, so I, I was I was very happy as. Probably probably one of my favorite projects I've ever been a part of. It was definitely a labor of love, and uh, yeah, uh, we, we ended up doing a, a finale event at the Park Theater in Winnipeg. We rented out the theater and sold tickets, and I, I don't know what capacity it was. It was like two or 300 people, but having that full and then hearing people laugh at the funny parts and cheering when we caught fish, it was like... You never get to experience that as as a YouTube content creator. You just create a you put it online, and you're like, I hope someone likes it, and you see numbers and you see likes, and it's like, okay, on to the next video, and and that kind of just uh, it made it all feel very real. Like, wow, there's actually you know people that are pumped about this, and it's you know they're finding it funny, they're they're finding it exciting. So that was a super cool moment, I think, for all of us competitors. You know, uh, that was that was pretty special. That that's. Yeah, that's something we won't forget for
3: sure. Yeah, you guys definitely tapped into something there, and I've also got to tip my hat to the, the the editors of the all the video there because there was never a dull moment through that entire series, and it flowed like like at least us being on the content creation side, like I'm I'm jealous of the amount of flow that he had going <laughs> on going with the video there because it was just smooth and it was entertaining the whole way. So uh, thank you, thank you. Yeah.
2: Props, props to Nick on that. He had to, you know, Aaron and I came in a little bit later and got to do some of the easier changes, but Nick was the one. So, I mean, essentially you've got 39 hours of actual fishing content, but you've got all the travel time and the other stuff. So realistically you're looking at 39, you're looking at like probably let's, let's even say 50 hours per team. And we had one, two, three, four teams. So you're looking like 200 hours of footage he had to sort through essentially. And it's just like, you know, you're talking about the flow and some of that, like, some of the funniest moments aren't the fish it's like tarot stumbling or it's tarot saying something funny and then and then revisiting that you know four hours later and it's like those little those little tiny things that you might not notice if you skim over too quickly those are the things that you know i think make it funny because everyone's seen big fish but i think i think 39 hours has the care like i think the characters are kind of what people attach to because you don't have to know fishing to get into 39 hours if you if you find tarot funny, you can get into 39 hours. If you find tarot annoying, you can get into 39 hours, right? It's...
3: <laughs> totally. So, totally. Yeah. And so, like, I would say, it, like, a success, like, from a viewership kind of level. Um, is there is there plans for a third season on the horizon here?
2: Oh, man. I, I'm thinking... When we got when we finished season one, I think that was the most asked question. It's like when is season two gonna be? Yeah, and you know, there's a lot of back and forth with Aaron. It's like when's the right time? And and season two, I think the right time. You know, it was the right time. Uh, and we're we're always talking about season three and what it could be and you know potential and yeah, it, it's it's just a it's a big. Uh, I mean, from start to finish, I think last time it was around eighteen months or something like that. So. Yeah, we're always brainstorming. I know it's a very vague answer, but uh, yeah, n- n- there's nothing set in stone at this point. <laughs>
3: there's been rumors on the internet of like an ice series. Is that true?
2: I think I think that uh, I think if we did do another series, I think ice would be fantastic because I think that's what people are asking for. I, I I think it could be tough too because the problem is you can easily go ice fishing for six hours and like you can go on like Winnipeg for six hours and not catch a greenback. It's not like you're going to just slide in there and magically catch a 28-incher. You could, but ice fishing is just, oh, it can be tough. I'm sure you guys have experienced those days where it's like you go to one lake, go to the next lake, and you can't also hop around and change species as quickly ice fishing either. So I think people throw that idea out there, and I th- and I think if they actually, like, thought about it a little bit more, it'd be like, yeah, this could be pretty painful.
0: So <laughs> It could be, uh, like, if, if- – Let's say me and our, our buddies go out ice fishing for like yeah. a 39-hour a competition. It, it could be, uh, I mean, one track truck breaks down or somebody gets stuck. You could wipe out half a uh, half your fishing time right there too. Exactly. <laughs> so. exactly. It's not like one
2: boat. You go everywhere. It's like you need to – there's a lot of gear involved. and uh, Yeah, but no, that, that's that been, you know, brainstormed as well, and it's nothing's off the table. But, uh, yeah, we'll, we'll see. I mean – tough to really plan anything right now with the state of uh, the state of everything, you know, oh, totally. as far as people traveling with how much travel is involved with it. So we're kind of just, you know, wait it out, see what happens in the world and go from there.
0: No kidding.
3: I, I think the one thing, too, that you're fortunate for, Jay, is the fact that the Conrad brothers are landlocked and they can't access a coastline from any point in Saskatchewan. Otherwise, <laughs> I, I think you would see some pretty sneaky points cropping up on the, uh, the old scoreboard there.
2: Oh man. The, the float plane they got was just next level. Like, yeah. <laughs> the, for those of you who haven't watched there right now, it was the Conrad brothers team, uh, team Dakota lithium from Saskatchewan. They, uh, they, they rented a plane and they flew up North, which was in there's, there's no rules against it. It was, it was pretty clutch. It was, I was pretty impressed.
0: Yeah. That's amazing. <laughs> um, well, this, would be a good segue into uh, another film that that uh, you've been a part of. And as we recently learned, that's become available for uh, viewership. Um, yeah,
2: as of just a couple hours ago. Yeah,
0: literally hours ago we were just talking. And, and uh, so it's your film, Common Thread. Yep. And it's part of the 2020 Fly Fishing Film Tour. You got it. Tell us about that.
2: Oh, man. So... I am not uh, a fly fishing purist by any means. I love to fly fish. I was able to guide lots of fly fishermen up north. I worked at Wollaston Lake Lodge, which is like a pretty premier destination for uh, fly fishing for pike. So I got to experience a lot of that. And, um, you know, I got more introduced to the fly fishing world. And and as far as film tours go, I, I don't know if there's as much of a like a bass film tour or a carp film tour or whatever. I know there's hunting film tours, but as far as in the fishing world, I think, I think in general, fly fishermen are a little artsier. So they came up with the fly fishing film tour. There's, there's kind of uh, I think there's two big ones. There's the I F international fly fishing film festival tour. And then there's the fly fishing film tour, which were really confusing. And I ended up entering my film into the wrong one at the start and waited (laughs) for months. and That's a whole story on its own, but Long story short, I, I was up at Wollaston Lake Lodge where I used to guide and then I started doing video work for them. And I'd been coming back there probably on and off for four years doing some some video work, shooting, shooting some promo stuff. And I started chatting with the owner, Mike Lemke, and he's like, oh, I'd love to do an entry for the fly fishing film tour. And I was like, okay, great. I'm like, that's cool. We have some really cool shots of like fish eating flies and stuff, but I mean... I want like a good story because I think that's what actually. I, I know it's cliche to say, but with I I think that's what you Part* is a really good story. Every everyone's got, you know, pretty fish shots of fish dripping off or water dripping off and slow mo and all that stuff. I was like, we need a good story. So during that whole time frame, I'm like brainstorming what's a good story, what's a good story, and I become friends with a couple guests and uh, Mary and Barry, uh, their brother and sister. They're from Texas and. They are just the funniest brother and sister duo. They're they're both in their early seventies and they give each other so much crap back and forth in the boat all the time and just always to- taking shots. Just, just your typical brother and sister. And I've become friends with them. I'd actually visited their ranch in Texas a couple times. And, um, so I had built that relationship. So I was kind of like, there might be a story here. And, and Mary actually had, uh, in the time frame that I knew her, her husband had died. She'd, she'd become a widow, and during this whole time frame, she had picked up the fly rod. And you know, what's obviously traditionally a lot of just dudes fly fishing. There's not a lot of female in in the fly fishing world. Not only is she a female, she's a grandma, and she's 77 years old. She cusses up a storm. She <laughs> smokes cigarettes, and she fly fishes. And it was just like. <laughs> And just, just the sweetest lady. Like it, and, and like, I don't know, it, she's just so lovable. It's, it's tough not to want to hang around or something like that. That's the story we need to tell Mary and Barry's story and their relationship more so than like a lodge promo. I wanted to tell, you know, their relationship with fly fishing. Cause it's a thing that kind of weaves their family together and, and kind of how the phrase came. It's, it's the common thread among their family. Uh, they bring their granddaughters up there and I actually had guided their granddaughters years previously and they'd caught Pike on the fly. And that was like a memory that they shared for, for many years to come. So that, that's kind of where common thread came. And, uh, yeah, so I filmed, we spent eight days filming. It was me and, uh, Zach Saladino. He was uh, another videographer, uh, helping thrive out for the summer, last summer the intern. And so he came up to Wollaston with me and we filmed for eight days. And, uh, yeah, it's, it was my first time doing a project like this. So, I mean, I didn't know exactly what it was going to look like or, you know, what the what the direction would be. I kind of knew a little framework of the story, but after that, it was kind of like just being a fly on the wall and, you know, seeing seeing what was going to happen during these eight days and what kind of storyline kind of rose, rose to the top. So, that was kind of long-winded. Do you guys have any questions?
3: No, <laughs> that's great, man. It's it's so interesting that you've cued in, you found yourself a character there, and you um you focus in on something that I think we're starting to really draw our eyes to, which is kind of that narrative or storytelling aspect of um, how we engage in the outdoors. And it seems like that is just so central to our experience of being outside is that storytelling and where where we draw meaning from and yeah. and those activities. So, personally, I can't wait to watch it. It's, it sounds exciting. Um, I'm curious as to what... Um, so, it, it seems like you've come from this kind of very promotional style of film, and now you've shifted your focus a little on this project to this narrative style. Um, what was the big difference there for you?
2: Hmm. I mean yeah normally normally you're trying to you're trying to sell a product now you're just trying to tell the story and and you know the toughest part about video is the editing of it because there's so many different ways you can edit a story and and just even with the music alone you can change the mood you could spend you know hours putting a different song like playing around with a different song behind a clip and it'll completely change the feel so it's like i don't know the other part of it too is i kind of wanted to create a keepsake for for mary's family right and what what would be meaningful to their family and what's something that they want to you know, what, what would they want told as well? Because I, I wanted to be, you know, respectful and honoring of, of them because they, they didn't really know what they're getting themselves into. Like, for a couple seventy-five-year-old people, they just see a young kid with it with a camera. They're like, "What's going on? Why are you filming us? What's this interview?" And, and, I don't know. I think they were surprised when, when the final product came together. So, yeah, final product is right around. 10 or 15, I think it's like 10 or 11 minutes. I think the original director's cut or whatever you want to call it was 15 minutes. We cut it down or we sent it in to the, to the film tour. So I'd sent it to the other film tour mistakenly. Uh, they were interested in it. And then all of a sudden talking with the owner, he's like, Oh yeah, you should be, you're in the wrong tour. It should be the other one. <laughs> so entered it in the other tour. The guy's like, man, we're making decisions tonight on which films to cut, which films to accept. He's like, we narrowed it down from 110 films and now it's down to like thirteen, and we're, we're taking eleven. And he's like, "If you can cut your film from fifteen minutes down to ten minutes, I think there's a decent chance we can we can slide it in there." And I was like, "Holy smokes! This was not how I expected it to be down to the wire like this, right?" What? So, uh, so <laughs> editor editor Nick Nick ends cut it down from he did he did the final cut from fifteen minutes down to eleven. And uh, we sent it in, like, the next day. And they're like, yeah, it's good. You're good. You're in. And I was wow. like, holy smokes. There was 110 films, and mine came in, like, <laughs> the day before, or two days before they were making deadline changes. So, uh, yeah. And, and, yeah, it was, it was, it was that's ridiculous. In,
0: that's incredible, man. And, and super clutch for Nick to cut that down. Because, like, uh, I feel like yeah. every video I've ever made is, like, okay, I got all my scenes. I got everything. I'm, I'm just disclaimer here in no way, shape or form claiming to be like a professional videographer or editor. But I just, it always ends up being way longer than, than I'm supposed to. And then when you cut all the fat and you think that's good and man, to cut another four minutes out of like, which I'm sure it would be like just another phenomenal production is got to be insane to do
2: it's it's tough to, it's tough to cut that last little bit but i mean uh i think it's yeah you stay yeah it's <laughs> you just you just got to do it right if that was a difference between making it or not I, i'm not that much of a i'm an artist but if it's a difference between people seeing it or not yeah i'll, I'll trim it down I'll, and they they gave me some good insight on on what parts to trim that the people at the film tour at the film tour have been great to deal with so uh it got accepted and uh, you know what, I the thing I was most excited for, and this is kind of on, on the topic of that 39 Hours finale, is watching it in a the theater with a bunch of people. I was planning to either fly down to Texas or to Colorado, and I, I was totally planning to go see it at one of the stops, because they had probably 50 stops around the States. And right in the middle of it, COVID hit, and they canceled all their stops before I had a chance to go see it. So that was a pretty pretty big bummer, because I was like, I don't know. This was definitely, yeah, one of my favorite projects I've ever worked on, and to not be able to see it with an audience was, it sucked. So now, on the other hand, uh, they decided to do a virtual event, and it, it's launching tonight, August 27th. Um, so you can buy virtual tickets online, you can stream the whole thing, it's like two and a half hours of content, and uh, you can see, it's only available for the next week, so depending on when this podcast is done, Whoa. is it going to be on before a week? Is this podcast going to be up?
0: Uh, possibly.
2: I just put you on the spot now. Anyways, I, I think I think the tour is available. I think if you buy the pass, you get it for the week, and I think it's uh, I think it's good till September second. But uh, yeah, so you can buy a pass, you can watch it online, and eventually, eventually, Common Thread will be released. I'm not sure if it'll be on my YouTube channel or the Wallston Lake Lodge YouTube channel, um, but I, I just want to share it. I mean, now you have to pay for it if you wait, you know. Another six or twelve months, it will be probably for free in some form or another. I, I'm not planning to charge for it at the end. I just want people to be able to uh, hear
0: Mary's story, and uh, yeah, it's exciting. Man, I'm super excited to to watch that film. You also have a teaser on YouTube of the film. Is that correct?
2: Yeah, there's a, there's a little one minute, a uh, little one minute commercial. So it gives you a little glimpse into. Uh, it's mostly just the cinematic stuff. It's a couple of. The, <laughs> couple of artsy shots and you get to see a little bit of mary but it doesn't really get to the to the meat of it
3: yeah how was mary's family's reception or even the reception from mary to the the film
2: it was it was it was so good yeah i uh I, i guess i haven't seen mary since since the film was done but uh mary's mary's son was so appreciative of the film that he said hey jay i'm going uh I'm going fly fishing in New Orleans in October. He said, if you can if you can make it down there, it's a free fishing trip on me as a thank you. So wow. I, th- that was a thank you from him, from Mary's son. And I was just like, wow, I did, I did not deserve that. But I most definitely uh, took him up on that opportunity and got to go fly fishing for redfish. So, I mean, that was just a, a huge gesture of, of, you know, their thankfulness. And I I'm very grateful for that.
3: I it, I would imagine too, when you take on that narrative lens, um, often your subjects there, the folks you're filming probably get to see themselves even in a new light. Um, yeah, in some ways. it's always different seeing
2: yourself in front of the camera, right? Like even for me, I spent so many years behind the camera. And then when I started doing stuff in front of the camera, it was just like, this is really tough and it's still, it's still tough. And, and, you know, it just takes same thing with podcasting. It's probably hear, weird hearing your voice for, you know the first couple podcasts then eventually it's just like, okay, it
3: gets easier, right? It, it hasn't got easier yet. So we'll, we'll, <laughs> we'll wait. We'll, we, we have faith that you're right and that uh, it will get easier. But yeah, no, it, it, and it sounds like a great project. So we'll, uh, we'll, uh, we'll throw up a link to, um, in the show notes for how people can access it. And, uh, and Jay will connect with you too about the easiest method there. You said you were doing a little troubleshooting around it. So, um, yeah. Make sure, sure. Make sure people have access to it. Um what were what what fish species were you targeting when you were filming Mary there?
2: Mostly pike, yeah. Mostly pike. I'm trying to think if we caught anything else. They do a little bit of like they try to catch some late trout on the fly and stuff and they, they kind of fish for a bit of everything, but up at wallston they're pretty much just sight fishing for pike, which is pretty awesome. Like watching a pike eat your fly is one of the cooler things in, in freshwater fishing. So it was, it was a lot of fun. Probably the highlight of, like, the whole filming experience, and I think uh, the moment where I was like, this film is actually coming together, is they brought uh, their granddaughter up. Her name is Ella. And Ella was just learning how to fly fish. And um, their guide, Phil Weeb, who lives not too far from you guys, he lives on uh, in the area there. He's a guide up at Walston. And uh, he, he and Ella and Barry grandpa were all in the boat together, and they saw this pike by, right by their feet, and Barry's teaching Ella how to cast, and Ella flops this cast out right in front. And all of a sudden, you see her lift her rod, and Barry, like, almost chokes on himself, and, and she hooked <laughs> the fish. And we have no idea how big it is, but it just comes rocketing out of the water, and... I got the whole scene start to finish. They lifted it out of the water. It's a 46-inch pike. And that was oh like my god. one of her first pike ever on the fly. She's like 12 or 13 years old. And it was just like this This could not have worked any better. Because there's so many times where I go up to lodges and it's like, oh, you should have been in the other boat. They, they caught the big fish. Or should have been here a week ago. The fishing was way better. But this was like, I don't know. I think it was a god thing. It was like I was right beside them in the boat. Or I might have been in the boat with them when they caught this fish. And I was just like, this this is meant to be like this was this film supposed to happen so it was, it was emotional like i remember barry watching this happen and i can tell he's getting choked up and i'm holding the camera and like i mean i get choked up pretty easily but i'm just like this is a very cool moment to have <laughs> on film like i i've yeah like i don't catch 46 inch pike and this girl just got 46 inch on the fly so it's, it was it was wild
3: when you have generations of um fisher folk gather around the pond and not to mention that you add in the mix, there fly fishing. I could see how that would just instantly ratchet up the gravity of the situation and, yeah. and yeah. just be a real, the fact that you have that alone on film is, uh, is amazing. The fact that you managed to weave it into a story, I'm sure is just something that they'll never forget. Yeah. Yeah. Awesome. And then, so if we're looking at, you know, maybe a cousin of uh, the pike here, Distant Cousin, maybe. (laughs) Um, It's musky season coming around soon, and uh, I think some folks actually are probably into it right now in some ways. It's always
2: musky. It's it's musky. I mean, yeah, musky season. I I think musky season, I guess musky anglers really start to show themselves in the fall time, because musky season opens around, yeah, June 20th, and... You know, people catch them walleye like, fishing, people catch them bass fishing, but I think, yeah, I think now, like September, this is my favorite time to fish for them. Like end of August, September, uh, yeah, they're they're my favorite freshwater fish to chase,
0: without so so, a doubt. So, um, lots of lots of talk about like waiting for the water to cool down to uh, to go after the the muskie. Is that is that just like an activity thing, or is that like a health?
2: It's issue? yeah, it's a health. It's a health thing, like. A lot of guys will say when water temperature hits, uh, I want to say eighty degrees. I, I should know this. There was so much talk about it this year. Yeah, it was, it was eighty degrees. When it hits eighty degrees, that's kind of like the, um, the kind of the magic number that people stop doing it. But it's kind of like, is seventy nine point five okay? I, I don't <laughs> know, right? It's just, it's it's all about fish handling and how long you keep the fish out of the water and, uh, yeah, yeah. you know. But that being said, yeah, when it's when it's boiling hot, you just it's ideal not to fish for them. Right. And now in, in the fall time, temperatures are fine. Everything's below 80 around here. And, uh, it's, it's kind of go time. This is my, my favorite time because they're just so predictable. Like if you go to a rocky point and cast a bucktail, you know, eventually you're going to see a muskie. The, the muskies up, I mean, Lake of the woods is in my backyard here and yeah, bucktails, rocky points, rocky reefs, and just go all day. And, and they're, they're starting to fatten up for the fall and, uh, there's nothing better than a, than a figure-eight muskie when he eats with a foot of line out by your feet. And if you guys don't know what a figure-eight is, it's mus- muskies are different from pike, and they have a different personality. They're not scared of the boat, and they just get zoned in on your lure. And on Lake of the Woods specifically, they love to eat it right at the edge of the boat. So you'll bring your lure in, reel the lure right to the tip of your leader, so you have 10 inches of leader and then the lure, and you'll either do a big circle or a big eight beside the boat, and the fish will hopefully eat it or follow it 13 times and and make you very mad and then swim off so it's it it gets your knees shaking it's it's the closest feeling i've had to hunting while fishing like a musky follow is is the closest thing i've seen to uh you know a deer walking out
0: man that that's a that's a great uh i guess description how how to describe that and i I could only imagine especially like the fish of Ten thousand casts—is that—is that, is that mm-hmm. the, That's it. the handle? Yep. So, like, just to have that—that that, uh, ghost-like, um, I guess, uh, feeling about that fish, and then and then having it all of a sudden right by the boat, and yeah. just trying to entice it figure eight after figure eight, and then having that thing smash it. it could, man, that'd be exciting. It's go time. Yeah, yeah. It's,
2: <laughs> it's great. And then it's just pandemonium. It's it's like it's like hunting. It's I mean. The hunting, at least for, for big game hunting, it's like 90% of just, you know, putting in the work and then 10% or even less of just, you know, anxiety and, and craziness, pandemonium when, when the deer walks out or when the muskie follows. It's just, things happen so fast and you, you either, things. sometimes you do everything right and the muskie goes away and sometimes you do everything wrong and he just eats the, the worst figure eight you've ever seen and, you know, he doesn't get off. So it's, yeah. Yeah.
3: So, and if, if I was doing myself a little staycation here and maybe, or heading out to uh, Lake of the Woods, you yeah. um, you're you telling me that maybe as a novice musky fisher person, that the best thing to do here would be casting those rock areas with a, uh, with a bucktail. Yep.
2: Yeah. I mean, there's times where, I, don't, I was talking to Darcy Cox, who's a musky guide in Kenora and he's like, there's times where he'll have three guys in the boat and they'll all be throwing bucktails just because. Think about a bucktail, It's and, and uh, a bucktail is essentially just a really big meps for you uh, listeners. So, like, it's a treble hook at the back, right? So when that musky bites, even if he eats it sideways or hover, he's, he's getting treble hooks in the mouth. When you have a big, huge crankbait or a big rubber bulldog or something, a big tube, he can hit it different ways. He can T-bone it and maybe not get hooks. But if a musky even nips at the back of a bucktail, it's just straight treble hook into his mouth. So your hookups are really good. The blades throw off a ton of water, and the fish just feel it in their lateral line it just it just triggers something in them so uh yeah bucktails you're just they're easy to fish you just you just huck and wind essentially all day and they, they pull really hard though so you'll have really big far, forearms by the end of it but
0: uh yeah <laughs> so one thing i'm always after when i when i'm uh like fishing new species fishing new spot is man am i in the right depth of water so what, <laughs> what if we're after them in the fall what what kind of like you, you say you're off a point but like Am I going to be in, like, 12 feet of water off that point, or am I going up shallow?
2: Tip, like, a lot of the time you're casting, I mean, at least for August, September now, they can stay really shallow, and you'll be casting to, to the bank, essentially, like your bass fishing. Oh, I mean, wow. if you're fishing an extended point, like a, a submerged point that, you know, is two feet deep and goes way out to the middle of the lake, yeah, you're going to fish that submerged point, but you're fishing right up against the island sometimes, and uh, yeah, sometimes they can be in inches of water, but uh, yeah, I've seen... Yeah, I mean, if you're casting, it's easier to target them in, you know, less than four feet. And then later in the year, a, a, common, a common practice is to trolling for them, like trolling crankbaits in, you know, 12 to 20 feet of water, which is good too. But I think people are realizing that jigging is a good form or, or casting, you know, soft plastics and fishing them deeper. So, I mean, there is a progression of fish moving deeper as you get into October and November, but there's definitely... I think fish date generally I think muskie's will stay sh- shallower later than people think.
0: That's pr- pretty cool. Um what uh so typical day like obviously you have some muskie hotspots that you go to but let's say average joe is heading out there. Yeah. You think this time of year he's going to be boating a muskie <coughs> excuse me uh, in one day yeah. or is it is it going to be uh I mean, I mean, if I
2: averaged, if I averaged a muskie a day, I would be very happy with that, but it, it just, it, it, varies so much. Like my best fishing trip ever on Lake of the Woods and my worst fishing trip ever on Lake of the Woods for muskies. I mean, it's tough to say worse cause I've gotten zero lots of times, but they were like back to back trips. I, I, my worst trip followed my best trip and it's just, they're so weather dependent that, uh, just, just earlier this summer, I took a couple guys out And we fished all day, fished some of my best stuff. And we saw like four or five muskies and none of them really wanted to eat. And that was three people casting hard all day. Two days later, I went out, took took a guy new to muskie fishing and went to, you know, a little bit different area. And we probably saw 20 muskies. We hooked four, landed one. And that was two days apart. And it was fishing, you know, spots in the same general area, I guess, like doing the same thing, throwing bucktails, and just two days later, the fish were absolutely fired up. And it was, I guess, the storm rolling in is, is often can can get them charged up. But when the muskies are going on Lake of the Woods, you'll see a muskie on every other spot you go to. If if you if you have a milk run of spots, you'll see them on every spot. When they're not going, you could go all day without seeing one. Like it's they're weird because you know they're on the spot. Some of the spots you know they're there. But they're just sitting there, and they're like, "Yeah, I'm not hungry right now. I I don't need to eat." So they are just can't do anything. So it's it's a weird deal, and and you know, it's those days when things are on, and it's just like, "Oh, I wish musky fishing was always like this." And the next time you go out, it's like, "I hate musky fishing. Muskie <laughs> suck." So muskies are absolutely frustrating. That's why so many people get discouraged because they go out and uh, and they get skunked the first couple times. Like, yeah, this this isn't good. But the next trip they go could be a, a three musky day or a four musky day, and they might all be forty-four to forty-eight inches, right? So, it it uh, it takes a special type of angler to be, you know, a little, you gotta be a little bit crazy and, and very persistent. But the payoff is huge.
3: Sounds like he'd be a good fit for Archery Elk, Jay. <laughs> <laughs>
2: um,
3: per, and let's pretend for a second here that I'm a I'm a seasoned musky angler. Yep. Um, what's maybe like a, a new bait or maybe a technique that you would maybe slide my way if we're good buddies, we'll pretend or uh something uh, something that you'd be looking forward to in this season?
2: I think uh I think jigging is kind of gaining a little popularity. Like big tubes, big soft plastics. Um it's been more popular in the States for a lot of years, and I think people are starting to do a little more around here. Um so jigging is something different if you don't want to troll in the fall time um does that i've been using sorry go ahead
3: does that let you zero in on them a little harder or how's that yeah
2: i mean the thing about trolling is you're just you're 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 trolling so much expansive shoreline and and whatever you're doing it's tough to like go back and forth on the sweet spot right but if you're jigging you can be right on the sweet spot if if the fish are stacked not that you're going to mark a bunch of muskies but if you're like this is a really good musky spot i know that muskies frequent this point or frequent this pinch point or whatever it might be then you can really hunker down on the spot and, and just wait it out sort of thing. Trolling, you're just you're hitting so much water, you do run into fish eventually, but you know, you might not you might only hit the sweet spot once or twice. Jigging, you're on it in his face, and eventually a fish is gonna cruise through, or that fish will just get mad enough and <laughs> eat your bait.
0: So <laughs> what's the most the most muskie that you've caught on one fishing spot? Like do you generally Nail one, one and then, spot. and then switch. Oh, uh, you know the spots. other, the
2: other, the other day when we, uh, the day I was talking about where I maybe had twenty follows, we caught, uh, we caught one, we lost one, and we had probably three other fish follow in the same very close, like very small spot. It was one little, one little island, and on the same side of the island, it, yeah, it was more of a reef than anything. But yeah, we, we should have caught two and had chances or had very interested follows. There's probably, I would say, between four and six muskies on that one little spot we were at. Which is a lot, but yeah,
0: that's sweet. So and, weird. Did I hear in that conversation that uh, you you were guiding folk?
2: Well, I was uh, I was stepping in for a for a guide. So okay,
0: I, okay. So so yeah, we, we can. Reti-
2: I'm, I'm retired. I'm retired. <laughs> uh, I came out of retirement for. Uh, for a buddy who is uh, under the weather, so I, I stepped in, stepped in for one day, and now I'm now I'm retired again.
0: Uh, that's pretty cool that you still get to go out and do that, though. But uh, yeah, I thought maybe some of the some of the listeners might be uh, piping up <laughs> there and, and uh, scratching at the door to hop in a boat with you.
2: We'll see. Maybe 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 uh, down the road I'll I'll come back. But uh, <laughs> you know, the, the problem is, is I love making videos more than I love guiding. And, uh, as soon as you're making videos, you just, you can't, you can't give, you know, your, your client that I remember when I got it at Walson and I was messing around with cameras and I know that my guests weren't fans of it when I was like trying to yeah. film or wear a camera, like take pictures and stuff. I'm like, yeah, then they're not getting the full attention from you. Right. So,
0: yeah. uh, yeah, they're not getting so, the experience yeah. they want. Exactly. That they paid for it. Exactly. Yeah. Totally.
3: I got, I got one more musky related question here.
2: Give if... me.
3: Did, did the Manaki musky attack shake up Kenora?
2: <laughs> it was talked about for sure. I mean, the size of the bite marks on her leg. As soon as that happened, I told Sam, I was like, I wish that happened to me because those are some sweet scars. Like, imagine <laughs> the story. But, like, I think it cut her tendons. So, like, I hope she's doing okay and everything. But, man, what a story. I, I What I would have, if that happened to me, not that this is proper fish handling, but I probably would have put my middle finger and thumb in his eye sockets and then grabbed him under the gills and lifted him up. And it would have been a viral video. Maybe, maybe put it on TikTok, But but uh, that didn't happen to me. So, I mean, it said, she said she got pulled down by the muskie,
3: which yeah. is
2: just insane. Yeah. It was a big fish. I'm sure it's a 50 plus like that bite mark looks like it. I don't know, 52 inch or maybe like that's, that's a 30 pound, maybe forty pound fish. Like who knows?
0: Yeah, I could, I could haul you down. That's for sure i don't <laughs> haul me down I, I don't exactly swim like ariel the mermaid so it'd be pretty yeah. easy <laughs> uh, um so something cool that you've been working on with uh and actually launched with one of our, our buddies uh josh mcfadden there is uh the uh your new catching cook coating
3: this might go yeah. might go down as the worst segue from musky fishing <laughs>
2: It's, it's so fishing to fishing, man.
0: I've never eaten a muskie. I don't plan on it.
2: Um, yeah, Josh, Josh, and I have been friends for a couple of years now, and uh, I don't know. Always brainstorming, and Josh and I have just always, you know, gotten along well, and and we're both, I don't know, in the in the creative in the creative world, and I don't even know how it came about, but we were just talking about fish seasoning and and, and batters and stuff, and it's like, you know. No offense to any of the batters out there, but it was just like, you know, what, maybe there's maybe there's space for one more in the in the in the fish batter world. So Josh and I, uh, I'm not going to take too much uh, too much credit for the recipe. Josh had this uh, this recipe that he tweaked over the years, and uh, I tasted it, and I said that's really good. I love it a lot. Uh, I I'd cooked lots of short lunches at lodges, so I kind of knew what I liked and what I didn't like, and I was like, this is good. I I could get behind this. So I mean, I think. Uh, Yeah. It was just something we talked about for probably a year. And then we're like, okay, well let's actually start, you know, putting in some legwork and we'd planned to launch it like last June. We're like, oh yeah, we'll be ready for walleye season 2019. And then it was just one thing after another, one thing after another, you know, getting the food, food labels made and getting, you know, getting lined up with the mill and all this stuff. And all of a sudden it's like, okay, it's, you know, uh, what is it now? August, August, 2020, I guess we ended up launching it. And, um, yeah, it's more than a fish batter. It's, it's for you know what you guys love cooking wild game. You can use it for everything, and it's it's so much more than just us you know having our stamp of approval on this fish batter. But it's it's creating a brand that we can you know build to what we want and you know incorporate the hunting and fishing side of it and share it with you know share with guys like you share it with people who who love the outdoors and you know we've already played around with some some game recipes and to do more of that uh, it's just. It seemed, uh, seemed like something that'd be easy to, uh, to have a lot of fun with. And that's, that's kind of the goal is we're just, you know, two dudes making some videos, taking some pictures and cooking some fish. So it's so far so good.
0: Amazing, man. Um, yeah. So if anybody doesn't want to put it on any sort of meat too, I've seen you guys were also battering up some, some French fries and you could probably do like onion rings or something out of it. And there's lots of, lots of stuff you could do with it. Um, yeah. It's funny how you talk about just it being a process. I could only imagine there's like so many steps in, in, uh, in making a food product because we have a hard that's... enough time rolling out a new t-shirt and all deciding on it.
2: Well, it's, it's all the little things. It's, it's the, you know, getting the food labels and the barcode and then the graphic design and then, you know, getting the bags made and, and you know, coordinating things with the mill. It's all, those are all steps. And Josh and I are super excited and, you know, we're messaging people and making phone calls and stuff. And then, you know, sometimes that the process takes a couple of weeks depending on what it is. So, uh, you know, our, our first batch sold out very quickly. Uh, we, we we didn't know what to expect and our first batch sold out in about 18 hours. And we're like, okay, this this is good. And uh, but we, we have one more batch now. And once that sells out, then it's kind of back to square one because – we ran out of bags a lot <laughs> quicker than we expected and you know it's 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 the next step it's like yeah. you know do we do we want to have it in stores eventually or do we want to keep sending it direct to the consumer we love sending it direct to the consumer um but shipping is very expensive in Canada oh people, man people complain about the shipping costs it costs us like $15 to ship one bag in Canada we lost money on like the first on the first batch shipping in Canada so it's like I don't. I don't. I don't think until you've done it, you know, you don't understand everything that's involved. But it's like fifteen bucks to, to to ship one little bag with Canada Post, and it's like, yeah, that's not uh, that that's not how you run a, a business, too, right? Because I mean, we want this to be profitable in the end, obviously.
0: It's tough, man, and like even for us to ship a T-shirt is like anything larger than than like uh than like a legal envelope is. You're looking at yeah, like $20. at least fifteen to twenty dollars for shipping, yeah. and like not even far in Manitoba. I think that I shipped something to to Ontario a couple of weeks ago it was like nineteen dollars.
2: Yeah, it's it's ridiculous. And in the states, the shipping is a lot more reasonable. I think eight dollars American. They can kind of ship it anywhere in the states. So I mean, there it works. But we're just we're just navigating it, and uh, you know what? It's been a massive learning curve because that's something that neither Josh and I have a big background on but the support has just been absolutely tremendous. People like sharing and posting pictures of their, their catch and cook bags and and the fish they're cooking and they're pumped on it. And it's like, man, this, this is so cool. So, uh, yeah, we'll we'll see where it goes. Josh and I are super pumped on it. And maybe when we talk in a year, we will have, uh, I will have deleted my YouTube channel and, uh, Josh will have deleted his Instagram and we'll both just be selling fish batter.
3: (laughs) (laughs) Fry visuals. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and you know, fair warning here, Josh too, or uh, Jay, I should say is, um, one of our buddies that we had on the podcast earlier, uh, Stu Thompson there, we noticed his, uh, he was on the ice podcast that we had and, uh, his boy took a little, like a good shot of that, uh, catching cook. Yeah. So you, yeah,
2: Josh sent that to me. That was impressive. He's going to be doing all of our marketing right away. So I'm not coming. <laughs> to kicked
3: out. <laughs> yeah you're gonna be cut out of thrive pretty soon watch out man Yeah, exactly but yeah and uh and so there's a there's a bit of a catch and cook shortage in manitoba at the moment i I managed to rope josh into giving me or I shouldn't say give i bought two bags off of josh but uh you stole them. yeah <laughs> i stole i basically stole them. i felt like i stole them because i was like i had to direct in i was like dming them. i was like hey man give me some catch and cook uh What's that's uh,
2: the problem is I don't even have any. So so yeah, it's, uh, <laughs> we're, we're trying to figure out all those, all those kinks and stuff, but
0: uh, you got the recipe. We, You're okay. We, we
2: got the recipe. That's the important part. And really? I have like, a t- I have a Tupperware, I have a small Tupperware left of catching cooking people. I'm getting the same thing, texting people. I'm like, no, I'm hoarding this. This is for promotional purposes only.
0: Yeah, you can start selling it out of uh, Ziploc bags out of the back door in Kenora. Yeah,
2: exactly. That'll go over well.
0: <laughs> You're
3: all catching no cook right now, man. <laughs> Um What's what, what what do you feel setting like the, the product apart? Maybe from a few of the other products on the market, though. I'm just curious.
2: Um, I like the uh, the cornmeal in it. Gives it a nice crunch, and then yeah, it's just it's not overpowering. It's, uh, it's got a nice amount of salt. That's something I heard from some other people, too. And, uh, I mean, you can always add more spices. That's the thing. We, we try to keep it not too overpowering, so you can always add a little extra. But, you know, sometimes once you've over-seasoned something, you can't, you can't take it away. So I think it's just Josh's secret recipe. It's got a good amount of crunch. And then the different way you cook it. You can – if you batter it once, it's just, you know, a nice crispy coating. But my favorite way to do it that Josh taught me very quickly is – I mean, our, our catchphrase now is going to be "summon the crunch, but it's, it's like double dipping it or triple dipping it. So oh, yeah. you, you batter it once, you sprinkle a little water on it and then you put it back in the batter. And I'm just like, how have I not known this? Cause it's the crunchiest fish that I've made. And I did a lot of shore lunches like for a lot of years. And now this is, I, I wish I knew this, you know, 10 years ago, but, uh, yeah. So I like, I like the double dip with the catch and cook dipping him some water back in the batter, and then it just gets so crunchy. And, and I love crunchy fish. That's that's my favorite. Shore lunch is – I can eat shore lunch every day and, and be and be a very big man.
3: <laughs> you know what? If I had to guess, Josh was probably cooking shore lunch in the rain, and that's how he figured that out. Yeah, that could be part of it too. <laughs> the double dipper. Absolutely. Yeah. Real double dip. <laughs> okay. And then so you can put it on fish. You can put it on fries. You can put it on game. And, uh, so you're last year you started hunting there, Jay, uh, started diving into it. Um, are you expanding this year a little or like what, what's in your sights here for the fall?
2: So, yeah, two years ago I shot my first deer and that was, that was like a fully guided situation. Like I climbed into my buddy's blind and he had, he had the, he had the spot set up and everything. And I just, you know, pulled the trigger and it, it was great. It was, it was awesome. And got to fill the freezer and it was it was a great experience for my first one but then the next year I was like okay you know I want to do this on my own so I I I don't know if we talked about this last time maybe we did but I I got permission on a piece of property and I was able to to harvest the deer last year and doing it on my own was incredibly fulfilling I was I I cleaned cleaned my first deer, gutted it and the thing about hunting is I'm so green that I know that I say things wrong and I know that I'm like a hardcore hunter would laugh at me but I love it because I'm just, you know, I've, I have no shame. I, I'm completely green to it. So every time I go hunting, it's just so new. And I'm, like, starting to get the buzz on hunting season, which is something that I haven't had. Like, every year, it's, it's definitely growing. So uh, the goal this year is going to be – I feel like if I say it on this podcast, and I kind of have to, like, then I'm speaking some, some power behind it. And I actually have to do it. But uh, I want to harvest uh, whitetail with my bow so that means i'm gonna have to start practicing but uh yeah my first archery buck is is the goal for this year
0: well done man like uh i mean obviously keep going at it it's i mean for somebody we'll say later on in their or to not have like that mentorship growing up into the hunting world it's it's a tough start sometimes obviously you're you're kind of well versed in the outdoor industry, so um, I'm sure you know a few people that uh, would certainly give you a positive word towards it. But uh, man, it's, it's never an easy endeavor to dive into that stuff and to to hear that, that that you've you've done it and now you have goals to like continue to to expand your horizons and expand your your skill set and uh, and just challenge yourself even more in in the in the woods is amazing.
2: Yeah, and and. Yeah. Oh, man. It's intimidating. It's so intimidating. There's just like, you know, once you've shot the animal, it's like, what do you do next? And, and, you know,
0: yeah, first time it's... I had
2: somebody else help me, but the next time I was just like watching a YouTube video and, and I was just like, okay, I mean, <laughs> I think this is where I'm supposed to cut.
0: And yeah. Is this it, what it, this you, is supposed you know, to feel like?
2: Yeah, exactly. <laughs> so I'm supposed to put my arms all the way inside of there. Yeah. And it's just... No, it's good. I, I just I cherish all those firsts because I don't remember a lot of my fishing firsts, but my hunting firsts are just ingrained into my memory. And I didn't film my hunts last year. Last year I just kind of enjoyed the whitetail hunts uh, without any filming, which was a nice change. But I think I think this year I'm going to document the process. And uh, yeah, I think it's going to be good. I, I I'm kind of looking forward to just taking a little step back. I don't want to sound like I'm getting out of fishing, but just. This fall, take a little step back and, and turn a little more focus into hunting. I'm going to be, yeah, doing a couple hunting vids in Manitoba. I might be tagging along on a moose hunt in uh, Northwest Ontario. So it's going to be a lot of hunting this fall, and I think it'll be just a nice break before ice fishing season starts. So
0: amazing, man. I can't, I,
3: can't, I hope you. Do bring the camera along because I can't uh, wait to see some of that footage. Uh, Thank you. It went, uh... Can't wait to
2: see me miss. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> not
3: the miss. I'm just maybe some of the commentary. And, uh, you know, sometimes it, uh, there, there was an era. I'm not sure if you watch any hunting TV coming up, but uh, there was an era maybe in the 90s and early 2000s where if you weren't shooting the top-of-the-line bow and stacking, you know, Boone and Crockett buck every – every episode it you didn't make sense for you to be on TV <laughs> so i but i think that that narrative's kind of shifted now right um um and and then no small part i think that the, like shows like 39 hours for example that focus more on uh you know kind of the fun aspect of yeah. of the sport and okay. uh and you know some of those funny moments and how life interjects itself that way so uh I'd be really curious to see what uh, Hunt with Jay Siemens would uh, would turn out like on uh, on camera.
2: Might be a disaster. Might be a disaster.
3: <laughs> but it, it would be worth watching, that disaster. So
2: I, I got a question for you guys. My one camera, when it gets cold, the fan has a little bit of a buzz, but it's a very consistent buzz. Do you think that's an issue for a deer? Or do you think if it's a cons- consistent noise... That won't
3: be an issue. You you talked about this on the last podcast. I thought you really. Were, I thought you were getting rid of that camera, Jay.
2: I bought another one, and it has the same issue.
3: <laughs> how how loud is it? Because like, if there's one thing I I know about deer, yeah, yeah, they don't like, they don't mind sounds that they're familiar with, but if it's something that they're not familiar with, that will stick out to them. Pretty, yeah pretty like if you play the wind it might not be an issue like if it's a windy day obviously yeah. you, you you could be fine i think but if uh if you if if it's a quiet day and you can hear the leaves crunch kind of scenario you might be in trouble see it's yeah. it's,
0: it's so deceiving too and it, it is funny like watching uh hunting shows because often you'll see the guy talking or you'll see the guy talking to his cameraman or that whatever that's fake right like, that's what you're going to say like the deer's like 10 yards away from him and he's like, you got the shot, you got the shot and all this going through my mind is, man, I wouldn't even be moving right now <laughs> and this yeah. guy's talking you to know, his cameraman. You know, of
2: those hunting shows though I watched a lot of hunting actually just recently because the, the Lajos ad had Sportsman's channel and so much of it I can tell you, guaranteed that what they do is they make sure they get the kill shot and then everything else is just back filmed. Yeah. It's like, okay, we got that. Like, Who's gonna have the perfect slow mo shot of the of the of the the cartridge going in or the the, the shell going in? Right. It's yeah. like no, that's so fake. You didn't have time to get everything perfect. This is like you got the kill shot and then you back filmed it. And, and I mean, that's not what I want to do. I'd rather have less cinematic and just have it real. But yeah, it all happens so fast. And I'm impressed that the people that pull it off well. Like, uh, yeah, yeah. You guys like- ever you guys ever heard of Jim Shockey? i don't know i'm just just kidding i watched i watched a bunch of his stuff last night on sportsman's channel and i was just like he's the production is absolutely top notch like and and he's he seems like the og i'm not sure what is what people in the industry think of him because i don't know the industry but he he seems like he's done it all like and he's just a hardcore guy
0: man he's really stepped out and and beyond like the the stereotypical hunting show style too yeah, There's some of, some of the stuff that he's he, brought out. He
3: was a trailblazer too in a lot of ways, right? Like, um, and like a Canadian, and he was he, he used to only shoot his smoke pole there for for the longest time. Yeah, that's what he was known for. So, like, I think he did cut a lot of trends. So, like, you I you'd probably be very right to recognize that he he he's adept at pumping out that premium content, and for a reason. Yeah. Heard the guy yeah. grinds, you know that kind of thing. So.
0: Yeah. Um, we're also looking for a uh, um, pro bono videographer trial <laughs> for the fall. So if uh, you know,
3: yeah, if you want an intern position, Jay, <laughs> yeah.
2: I'm looking for a good internship. yeah.
3: <laughs> We've got,
2: uh, I just want to come on some sweet hunts. That's, uh, you know, I, I think I would be just as content uh, filming a hunt as, as, you know, being the person. I was know. It's the same thing with filming fishing. When I filmed Uncut with Aaron for all those years, it was just like, uh, I just care that we catch the fish or that the you know that it's a successful hunt, right? I, I I filmed enough that I was just like, yeah, let's let's just make it happen. I don't need to pull the trigger or set the hook. So,
0: well, I know you're a busy man, but I'll, I'll toss this invite out there to you. To uh, the the invite's always there to hop in on a uh, archery elk hunt, and if you want to experience probably my most favorite uh, relationship with the woods is right. you just can't beat a bugling bull. I hear it, I hear that's yet. the
2: ultimate. Yeah, yeah. I hear it just makes you your spine tingle.
0: Yeah. You can leave the camera at home for that one. If you just want to come experience it too.
3: I might have to take you up on that. <laughs> Specifically that one with the fan in it. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> what kind of, what kind of bow did you land up, uh, arriving at there, Jay?
2: Oh man. Now you're putting me on the spot. It's Matthews. Okay. And it's black, and it was more money than I should have spent. It's uh, it, it was their. I feel like it was their top line a couple years ago. It's uh.
0: Chase oh, man, Chase probably be. like a VXR or a Halon six or a Halon.
2: Oh, it was a Halon. Halon thirty two. Yeah. That's what it was. Yeah. And I'm sure. I'm sure the hunters out there are like he doesn't even know what he bought. He just spent two thousand dollars on a boat. But what happened was, <laughs> my buddy and I went to Heights <laughs> Archery. And, and uh, my buddy Paul shot. Coneshot, he's, uh, he runs Brutel Outfitter and he's just a hardcore hunter. And he, he came along and, and I, I was just like, okay, it's good that I have someone. He, he's going to make sure I don't get taken advantage of, right? Not, not that they would take advantage of me. I just don't know the difference between a $200 bow and a $3,000 bow. So we go, we go into the basement there to the shooting lanes and he's like, okay, I got five bows lined up. There's no price tags on them. So don't base this off of price. Shoot all five. Just pick the one that feels right. Don't worry about the price. Of course, I picked the most expensive one out of the five. <laughs> That's and it's the Halon 32. And then it's like, oh, well, you need some, you need some archery camel, you need some quiet camel. Yeah, you should get a hard case anyways. And I, I don't, know, yeah, I just spent way too much money. I mean, that bow is gonna last me forever. But oh my goodness.
0: That's how they got me, man. Really? <laughs> yeah, yeah. Same I went thing. down there that last fall. My my blow, my bow exploded on me, oh. and. Uh, I finally, uh, I was kind of trying to find parts for it, but I, I, I stepped into heights there and I said, listen guys, I need a bow. And it was already like halfway through the archery season. So I'd yeah, been shopping at the bit. Signs, maybe? And, uh, yeah. So they're like, oh yeah, come on over here. We'll set up the bows for you. <laughs> and, uh, I, yeah, same thing. They, they set up a Matthew's traverse for me and it was just nice. the sweetest thing I've ever shot. So
2: yeah. Yeah. Well, it should last you for a while if you don't blow it up.
0: Yeah, yeah. My last (laughs) one lasted about – my last bow that I had lasted about 10 years. So I'm I'm happy. Did you dry fire
2: it or what happened here? Dry firing is pretty bad. I don't know much about bows.
0: No. uh, What happened was like there's a little pin on the cam that would hit the string to stop the the draw, and it slipped onto the other side without me knowing, Uh and I released it, and it – yeah, it's the the cam – like broke and the arrow snapped and, and uh, the string. Was that on a hunt? No, no. I was, I was, that just was targeting. Can you imagine if that
2: happened when you're full drawn and out? <laughs> I, I would,
0: I would I, weep. Oh, for I, a long time. I'd be crying for sure. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and
3: Chase, you're, you're in a bit of a unique sit- situation when you bow shop, you were even an arrow shop in the sense And that Jay, I'm not sure if you've ever seen Chase, but he's the, the tallest of the trio here. And, uh, which means that you've got to find a piece of equipment that matches your draw length. Yeah. And that's not hard for like, how long is your draw length chase? Uh,
0: I'm shooting 32, pulling 32 right now. Yeah. So that's a pretty far pull, eh? Yeah. And so there's like a select few bows that allow, allow me to do that. Limits
3: the range of likely into those more expensive. Yeah. Yeah. Very high tech yeah. bows, but yeah, it's definitely a solid future. Mm. So, Jay, how comfortable are you feeling in your your approach here to whitetail archery? Are you are you pretty confident? You got a plan? I you...
2: uh, no, no plan at all, really. I mean, season opens September first, and I still got a little too much on the docket. the The, the problem is, is I just always am, like, thinking three projects ahead. So when I go sit in the blind, it's never, it's never, like, oh, I need to get a big buck. It's just, like, the first thing that walks out, I'm, I'm going to probably shoot. And, I mean, I know that some people roasted me for shooting my first deer because it was a little spiker. And, I mean, everyone has an opinion with hunting, and I, I you just, you can't win. And I, I'm realizing that more and more when when I'm, you know, posting stuff on YouTube. It's, like, people are going to always find stuff to pick apart. So, I mean, I'm, I'm sure there is you know, science behind the decisions. But for me, I, I shot a spiker the first year and it was fantastic. And, uh, I would probably shoot a spiker again. Um, if a big buck, if a big buck walked out, I mean, amazing. Um, but yeah, as far as, as far as what I'm going to set up, like I probably should, you know, probably set up my blind in the next, you know, week or two. And then, uh, set up some cams and start going there but i i need to i need if i'm actually going to try to shoot a deer with my bow i need to just start target practicing and and uh i just i need to have confidence that I, I don't even know what uh like what's the standard what's the standard set like 20 yards from your blind to your where you think the deer is going to be
0: you can you can really yeah you do, just adjust it to whatever you're comfortable you're, with You're comfortable with right like lots of guys with traditional bows um shoot 20 yards and less but uh the compounds obviously can reach out farther so whatever you're comfortable with i'm i'm a big uh like um man i'm lost with my words today but uh advocate, advocate of uh just like shooting 15 arrows daily no matter oh, what yeah. what distance just to get that muscle memory in there and that yeah. that's a huge huge factor i find for just being consistent in, in your shooting. And,
2: and you know what I think would be tough for me or maybe the toughest part is just you can practice all you want standing on the driveway or wherever you're shooting, but as soon as you're sitting in a blind, it's just everything's you're you're cramped, everything's awkward. It's like I need to practice shooting out of a blind more than anything because I'm I'm going to do it from 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 a ground blind, but it's just like that's what I need to be practicing out of because everything I've heard stories of people, you know, practicing and then they're in the tree stand and the angles way different and they're not, you know, used to that.
0: Yeah. Yeah. That's huge. Also definitely practice what in the, in like the same scenario you're going to be hunting and like lots of stuff we do. Like when we're elk hunting, I always have like a backpack on and a binocular harness. So there's lots of extra gear yep. that goes into it that I normally don't wear when I'm, when I'm shooting, but before yeah. elk season, I'll toss it all on and, and take, take some shots to just get yeah. adjusted to that.
2: The, the, okay. Uh, one more, one more question for you guys. All right. Uh, and I don't even know what the actual term is. So you can... Uh, Broadheads, do you use the fixed or the, the non-fixed? I don't know what the other ones are called.
3: Mechanical, typically. Mechanical. Yeah. And then you can have a couple choices between mechanical. There's, there's a, like a spring-loaded version, and then there's like the um, inertia-operated, or I don't even know what it would be. It like opens on contact kind of scenario. Yeah. Um, but yeah. Uh, maybe I'll go first cuz I have less experience with the uh the archery hunting than chase but like I think the rule of thumb that we've been operating under the the kind of the guideline is that uh for whitetail we're we're typically fine with like a kind of like a mechanical style lots of people say they shoot truer to your field tips or like your practice points yeah um with whitetail you're typically not Busted through a lot of animal, but like when we're elk hunting, we pretty much stuck to like the fixed broadhead, either like a cut-on contact or like a, I forget what the other
0: kind of style is there. Chase like the, have like uh, a trocar tip or like a chisel tip kind of
3: thing. Something that's made to Mm -hmm. like punch through a little bit more animal. Yeah, And, and even myself, I I got an older bow with a bit of a shorter draw length and shooting smaller arrows, so I got a little nervous and went to almost like a, a two blade style with little bleeders on it so it's really thin and just because i was nervous about not getting enough penetration on that elk yeah but if i was if i was doing whitetail i'd be i wouldn't be afraid to use like a mechanical style
2: gotcha
0: yeah the the biggest thing like the the whole broadhead debate is is always been out there it always will be and and they're obviously are some broadheads that are work better than others. And, and there's some, every broadhead has, has pros and every broadhead has cons. Well, when you,
3: when you can drop, you know, a hundred dollars on three broadheads or $25 on three broadheads, it's obviously going to be a big difference. Yeah. And there's a range out there for hunters to select from, right?
0: Yeah. Like I, I I blew my broadhead budget already this year (laughs) on (laughs) some broadheads that I thought were going to be great, but I'm not entirely happy with them um either way though when it comes to broadheads the biggest thing that's going to make the difference is shot placement yeah so just having that confidence in the shot placement is 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 the biggest thing and then any broadhead will will should handle a deer no problem yeah yeah
2: well i cannot wait for hunting season i i mean i guess it's if i wanted to i could be hunting september first already. i don't think i will be but uh yeah is it the same for you guys there
0: yeah, she opens up September first. Archery elk and archery whitetail both open September first. So,
2: wow, you got
3: some time yet too. And the other thing that I was going to mention about practice that's helpful, I find too, at least that was really good for me, was um, and April, April Willis there is probably going to shake her head at me, is uh, it uh, Chase talked about muscle memory, but it's also like getting those muscles in shape as well. So like if you haven't used those back muscles. All all summer kind of scenario. I don't really use any
2: muscles typically. I sit in the back it, boat and jig.
3: <laughs> yeah, it, well, and if you're hunched over jigging the whole time, uh, you might be in trouble. Uh, not to yeah. not to dissuade you, but um, like I found that just getting that practice in also like built up my endurance as well to like being able to hold that bow out longer and uh not have as much wiggle.
2: So, and maybe some steroids would be helpful.
3: Yeah, we're not going <laughs> to test you, so like, uh, perfect. There's no,
0: yeah, they don't <laughs> test in the boot and crocket scoring system, so you're clear there. <laughs> <laughs> Anyways, Jay, um, that's pretty much a wrap for today, man. Uh, I want to thank, hey, thank you again for uh, making some time. I know uh, we've been trying to line this one up for a few weeks, and and uh, man, we're coming up to possibly the busiest season for lots of folks here in the fall and yeah, uh glad we
2: could connect. thanks for having me
0: yeah well uh we'll wish you luck on the woods and the water there and
3: uh hopefully uh you'll have some pretty cool content coming out for all our listeners
0: to take a look at
2: thank you very much I, uh, i'll be picking your brains i'm sure with some more uh,
0: archery questions right on thanks jay all right have a good one guys Yeah. thanks for listening to episode 58 folks and uh Man, I hope you guys have a chance to give Jay's fly fishing uh, film festival video a quick wash before it's too late. If not, you have to wait till it comes out on YouTube. And uh, man, I'm pumped to see what happens for him this fall with that new bow.
1: Um, so, uh, just wait. Speaking of fly fishing, do you think Jay would take um, take me and give me some fly fishing lessons for some like buffs and hats and stuff? If we just like give him some free merch. He'll take me and train me how to do fly fishing, because I have no idea. But he seems to seems to have a good grasp on, on that
0: part of the sport. I'm sure he, he'd probably do it for free, but I, I feel like the guy's so busy that you'd he, have a tough time uh, roping him in. Yeah, that's true. You might have to do it in, like, the dead of winter.
1: Yeah, but think about the content, man. It's like Jay Siemens teaches panoramic how to fly fish.
0: <laughs> Boom,
1: like five-part episode.
0: <laughs> yeah exactly does he have the time to commit a month to that <laughs>
1: <laughs> yeah. oh that's funny
0: before we take off guys don't forget to check out our website we got some cool freaking new gear on there man we got new t-shirts we got uh buffs we got full hats are stocked if you're looking for some blaze orange for rifle season some camel hats for your archery season or if you want to hit the streets in style we got you covered there too
1: check out those buffs man they're super good they can be like a two-in-one for a face mask covid19 you can maybe get away with wearing one of those so check it out use them check out our website check out our social media instagram and facebook and then yeah give us a like share let your buddies know
0: i like i like the new goose t-shirt t-shirts that uh you got made up man those things are comfy as hell and they look good yeah they are they're super nice Uh, I can't wait to try one on. Well, thanks again for listening, everyone. We hope you're uh, having a great opening day. If you're out there hunting archery, if not, maybe you're out on the water, wherever you are, keep those lines tight, keep your powder dry, keep the knife sharp.